Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. But David, he had many wives and concubines, and as a result, he had a lot of kids. But they're not full siblings, right? They're half-brothers and half-sisters. So Absalom and, and Tamar, Tamar, as we normally say, that's probably what I'll end up saying because that's just what you're used to. Absalom and Tamar, they had a different mother than Amnon. So they're half-brothers, sisters. But Amnon fell in love with his half-sister, and he didn't fall in love. He fell in lust, right? Because what he did had nothing to do with love. And so what he did, he, was, he lusted after Tamar. And so he a scheme was concocted for him to be alone with her. And see, the virgin daughters of the household were in seclusion. They couldn't come into uh, a man's living quarters with, with a man. That was forbidden. So he couldn't figure out a way to get alone with her, to approach him with his desire. And, and, the, and they knew who the virgins were because they, they wore these long robes to show that they were eligible, right? But it's kind of a side note, note to parents. If you have daughters, make it really hard for a man to do anything to your daughter. That's just a side note. That's not even one of our points, application points today, but make it hard for a man to do anything to your daughter. Okay? So it says that he loved her, but really what he did is he lusted after her, right? Because true love would never violate another person's body just to satisfy their selfish appetites. So they lusted after, right? In fact, First Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 3 through 7 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. We know that to be true. That's easy, right? That each of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Amnon was acting like a Gentile, right? Someone who doesn't know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we are told beforehand, and Solomon warned you, for God has not called us to for called us for impurity, but in holiness. So lust is always selfish, isn't it? Always self serving. It's always about you and what you get with little or no concern for the one you are using. And in the story, unbeknownst to David, Amnon even got David to help him by sending Tamar to attend to him because he was, quote, sick and ill and needed her care. As she was there taking care of him, he forced himself upon her. And look at verse 14 of chapter 13. She tried to talk him out of it, make talk some sense into him. What are you doing? But he would not listen to her, verse 14 says. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. So we know that this was against her will. And then, after he had had his way with her, he had her thrown out into the street. And she begged him not to send her away as she would be considered defiled and unfit for marriage. Who would want her after this? Let's look at verse 15. We'll read this again. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said, get up and go. 
And he had the young men who served him said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she's wearing this long robe with sleeves for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the long robe. She's no longer a virgin, right? Tore the long robes. And she laid her head on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And so this is the scene. And Absalom somehow finds out or sees her, and he takes her in. As as Hunter read, he takes her in, and he consoles her, and he vows to care for her. David, when he found out this father of Amnon, this father of Tamar, what does he do? Look at verse 21. When David heard of these things, he was very angry. But it says, Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister, Tamar. David the deceiver was deceived, wasn't he? By his own son. He's reaping what he's sowed. And what David's sons are going to do is they're following the example of their father when he committed adultery and murder. And as a result, there's going to be this great and continual grief in the heart of David for the rest of his life. And David was angry when he found out what Amnon had done, and rightly so. We think about us adults here. What makes us angry? Some of you are really laid back and really sweet and, and docile, but what makes us angry, or what makes us the angriest? What gets us mad the quickest? I would say it's messing with your kids. Right? You can do whatever you want to do to me. You can say what you want to, but you kind of badmouth my kids, and I'm kind of I'm gonna get mad at you kind of quick. That'll get us in the flesh, won't it? It does. It kind of pushes our button and gets us in the flesh. We we kind of understand that. But what, what was David's response? He's just he's mad, but he doesn't do anything. He's passive. It's like he didn't love Amnon enough to discipline him, nor did he love Tamar enough to. Deliver some justice, right? He's kind of paralyzed. He's incapacitated. Why? And we can just kind of guess. We don't know. We can just kind of guess, right? Because his own track record, right? His own failure. He sees his sons doing the same thing that he did, and it kind of paralyzes them. And, but, but Absalom, what, is, what does he do? What's his reaction? Well, we say don't get mad, get even, right? That may satisfy a lot of people, but it can never be pleasing to the Lord. For two years, Absalom bided his time. He didn't make a scene. He just took Tamar in, right? Took her. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. He takes care of her. And he bides his time. And two years went by. He wants to deliver justice. And it seems like maybe Amnon just kind of got away with it. His daddy didn't say anything. No one pitched a fit. No one brought it up. It was just kind of swept under the rug. Well, Absalom decides to have a party. It is sheep shearing time. If you continue to read in in verse 23 through 29, it's sheep shearing time, and that's what they did. They They were shepherds, and during the sheep shearing season, it's like that's when you actually made money. It's not like farmers. Farmers, when you, you know, you spin out, you, 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 
borrow all this money and you put in a crop and you, you get a crop and you sell your crop, then you pay off the, the, the loan and then you, that's, that's what's left over is yours. And so they would have this big feast, a big party at sheep shearing time because that's when they had money. And they would celebrate and they would feed the sheep shears and their family and friends would come together and they would have a big feast. Well, Absalom's, it's during sheep shearing time and he's going to have a party. And he said something to David about coming. No, 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 no. I don't want to bother you. I don't want to trouble you, son. What about Amnon? Won't you send Amnon there? It's interesting. David is first, he's kind of suspicious. He thought it was strange. Look at verse 26. He thought it was rather strange. He says, in verse 25, David would not go, but gave him his blessing. He says, no, I don't want to go, but you have, have fun at your party. Look at verse 26 of chapter 13. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king says, why should he go with you? Because he's thinking probably, well, I don't think you're, you and Amnon are very tight. I don't think y'all are very close, are you? Why would you want him to go? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. And then what, what happened was Absalom, he had a little plan. He got David to send Amnon, and he had his plan carried out when he was married with drink. When they are at the party, he was drinking wine. He had his servants kill Amnon at the party. And then what did they all do? How do you know when someone's done something wrong? Yeah, they ran, right? They, the servants ran, and Absalom ran. And someone tells David, in verse 30 through 33, someone tells David that all of his sons were killed, that Absalom had killed all his sons. Now, don't you hate that? When the, when the, when the grapevine gets things wrong? I hate it when that happens. Let me tell you an example of that. This last summer, we had a couple interns here, and someone had escaped, um, escaped from prison, and they had committed some heinous crimes, and this is a very dangerous person. And so we got word through the muscadine vine, I guess you'd call it, that, yeah, this, this, this dangerous criminal is coming through Garland on a blue tractor, and he's coming this way. I mean, we actually heard that. And the crazy thing about it, it was sheep showing time, and my kids show sheep, and we had actually come through Garland. No joke. There was a farmer there on a blue Ford tractor, and he's bush hogging his pasture. And you know what we did when I heard that? I prayed for that farmer. I said, somebody going to take that farmer out, thinking he's a runaway convict coming through Garland on a blue tractor. Who comes up with this story? I don't know how. Don't you hate it when the story gets wrong? They get wrong really quickly, don't they? It's kind of funny. But that's what happened with David. The story got was wrong. All your sons are killed. And then finally, Jonadab, this sly, crafty, lying rascal. But he, he did set the story straight, right? He said, no, no, it's not everybody. It's just Amnon. Absalom has just killed Amnon. And David, of course, was so grieved. Look at, look at verse 32. But Jonadab, the son of Shimeas, David's son, this is David's nephew, says, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. Watch this. For the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. See, Absalom had this planned out all along. He didn't make a scene. He didn't do anything. But he was just plotting and scheming, biding his time. Now, therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. So his son Amnon is dead. 
And all the king's sons who witnessed this, who had been at this party and witnessed their brother being killed by Absalom's servants, they all come back to David and they're all crying and they're all upset. And what does Absalom do? He goes into hiding again. Indication of his guilt, right? And again, what did David do? Amnon violated his sister. He did nothing. Look at verse 38 and 39. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. What did David do? For three years he did nothing. Isn't that amazing? He did nothing. Passive father, right? He did nothing. Well, chapter 14... Joab, David's commander of his army, he knew that David wanted to forgive Absalom and he and be restored to him. But David is like he needed a push in the right direction. And so what he did, you can read this if you haven't read it already. We're going to continue in this book. Next next week we'll be in 15, 16, you continue reading. But he got a lady from Tekoa to come. And and Joab got her to go tell David a story. And he told a story, a made up story, that she was a widow. And that she had two sons. And the story goes that one of the sons, they got in a fight, they were quarreling, and one of the sons killed the other. Sound kind of familiar? So she makes up this story and says, look, one of my sons, they quarreled with my other son, and he ended up killing him. And now the people in an uproar in my town, and they want, they want to take his life also. And if that happens, even though that might be the right thing to do, if that happens, guess what? I'm going to be destitute. And I'm going to be all alone. I won't have any husband or any sons. So will you help me? David's listening. He goes, okay. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. Nobody's going to harm your son. Tell him I said not. Don't let, don't, don't let anybody harm your son. And then so what does she do? Well, king, hope you don't get upset about this, but didn't you have two sons and didn't one of your sons, didn't they quarrel and one of your sons take the life of your other son, and yet, what do you do with this other son? It's kind of like Nathan and Bathsheba all over again, right? And so what does David do? He decides, okay, Absalom's been in exile for three years, so he tells Joab, bring Absalom to Jerusalem. But then this is what he says. He has him bring him to Jerusalem, but he says, but don't bring him to my presence. He can come to Jerusalem, but I don't want to see him. He can come here, but I'm going to kind of punish him a little bit because I don't want him to come in my presence. It's kind of funny. We, we do that sometimes with people, don't we? It's, you, you give the silent treatment. You know, husbands and wives, we do that. You get mad and somebody, instead of like talking it through, you just kind of like, you kind of stonewall them and you just don't talk, Right? Well, that's what happened with David and, and Absalom. He can come to Jerusalem, but I don't want to see him. I don't want to talk to him. And so that's what happened. And that, that went on for two years. Verse 25 and 26 of 1 Samuel 14, it, it talks about the Absalom and Tamar. They were very attractive. Absalom, um, Absalom's and Tamar's mother, she must have been something else because they were very attractive people. And it says when, when he cut his hair once a year, that Absalom, there was four pounds of hair cut off his head. 
Absalom and I, we have something in common, don't we? <laughs> yeah. He's a very attractive cat. He didn't have a blemish on him. He didn't have acne. You know, he didn't have hair coming out of his ears or on his back. He was just from head to toe, no blemish. Talk about how attractive he was. But Absalom didn't have a very pure heart. Absalom was in Jerusalem two years. So that's five years since Amnon's death. And Absalom, the thing about Absalom, if you read, kind of do a care study, he's not used to, he's used to getting what he wants. And he doesn't like being in isolation. And so he calls for Joab. He's wanting Joab to let him see the king and kind of get out of house arrest, if you will. And Joab doesn't come, and the spoil, like the spoiled brat that he is, he says, well, I'm going to get Joab's attention. So he sent his servants, his poor servants, they were always doing the dirty work. They go out to his fields, his barley field, and they set it afire. So guess what Joab does? He comes to see him. It works. It works. The plan works. Joab actually comes to see Absalom, and Absalom tells him, said, look, I'm, I might as well be living in my granddaddy's hometown. Why did I come to Jerusalem if I can't see the king? This is ridiculous. And so Absalom got to see the king. Look at verse 33. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on, the, on his face to the ground before the king. He humbled himself, at least outwardly, didn't he? And the king kissed Absalom. Think, man, what a wild, what a wild story. Why is this in the Bible? Well, what are some lessons we can learn from this text? Chapters 13 and 14, 2 Samuel. Well, the first thing I think we can recognize that God keeps his word. He keeps his prophetic word. Do you remember the consequences that we just read about last week? Well, everything that God says will happen in his timing, in his timing happens, doesn't it? The child born to David and Bathsheba would, would die. That was the prophetic statement, and the child died. The sword would never depart from his house. We see Absalom killing Amnon, and the chaos ensues. Yeah, God's word, everything that God says will happen is going to happen. And for us, that's, we can apply that. And everything the Lord says to us, all the promises, the blessings and the curses that God promises us, we know they'll happen. The second thing I think we, we can see is don't overcome evil with evil. You know, Absalom's desire for revenge, it was evil, wasn't it? That wasn't real justice. David's passive approach didn't help. Romans twelve twenty one says, Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, Absalom didn't do that, did he? Thirdly, I think this is apparent and very um, helpful here. We always reap what we sow. See, there's freedom in sowing, you know, sowing, but not in reaping. I've heard it said we spend six days sowing wild oats, and then we come to church on Sunday and we pray for what? Crop failure, right? Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8, familiar text for us. Do not be deceived. There is, um, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that 
he will also reap. Or the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Most of us, if our lives are kind of in chaos, not always, sometimes we suffer the, the consequence of other people's sin. That happens a lot, unfortunately. But a lot of times if our lives are in chaos, there's probably a reason. There's probably a reason. We reap what we sow. David, some specifics here, David had sown sexual sin. So he reaped sexual sin. The first crop to spring up was Amnon and Tamar within his own family. The next is going to be Absalom and David's wives, we'll see in chapter 16. He sown sexual sin, he reaped sexual sin within his own family. Secondly, David had sown, had sown death, right? He killed Uriah. He also reaped death. You know, David, he was going to lose before. It's over. He's going to lose four sons to death prematurely. The baby conceived in adultery died. Amnon was killed by Absalom. Absalom's going to be killed in chapter 18. Adonijah, another son of his, will be killed by Solomon in, in 1 Kings chapter 2. So he's going to have four, four sons die. He had sown death and he reaped death. He'd sown deceit and betrayal. And he reaped Deceit and betrayal. Think about the, the, the story of Uriah and Bathsheba. He deceived Uriah, didn't he? Well, he's reaped deception in the person of Amnon, whose motives were tainted when asking David to send Tamar to care for him. And then David also reaps deception in the person of Absalom, who deceived him into sending Amnon to his death by sending him to this sheep-shearing party. Yeah, he reaped what he had sown. He sown, had sown deceit and betrayal and he reaped deceit and betrayal. Stephen Coley's a pastor. He says, we like to think that we're totally free creatures. He says, we're really not. The only freedom we experience is the realm of sowing. We're free to sow. Say, for instance, you sow ragweeds in your garden in the spring. But in the summer, you're not free to pick roses. You're free to sow, but you're not free to reap. If we sow to the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit, you'll eventually harvest a crop of the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the truth about consequences is that sooner or later, everybody sits down to a banquet of consequences. Make sure your banquet is the fruit of the Spirit, not the lust of the flesh, right? David has also sown indulgence. And what did he reach? What did he reap? He reaped spoiled children, right? He was very tolerant and very passive with his... He was a very merciful, overlooking sin. And that's what he had sown. And what did he reap? Spoiled brats, right? What did David do to Amnon who raped his sister? He just got mad and fumed, but he took no action. What did he do when Absalom killed Amnon? Not a cotton-picking thing. Edmund Burke says it best. He says, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. 
thing is, you think about David's experience with Bathsheba, Uriah and Bathsheba. He failed in that regard for sure. But he knew the consequences of unrepentant sin. Do you remember we talked about how he talked about his bones were wasting away? He was miserable, right? He knew the ripple effect of sin and he lived this horror. But he, his failures could actually have given him a good perspective and he could have helped the situation. He could have used his failure as a teaching point for his sons. But he didn't do that. So by doing nothing, what did he do? He diminished the value of his daughter. He did nothing to correct the, the behavior of Amnon, and it fueled resentment in Absalom. And we're going to see next week that's going to cause more problems. But I mean, if, you're, if you're, we're all honest, it's just easier to do nothing, isn't it? Like we talk about, sometimes I'll, I'll say, hey, there's, there's a, a brother or sister in our church, and they've got this, uh, this problem going on. And some, more times than not, we just kind of sit there and they're kind of like, well, What are you going to do about that? And rightly so, because I'm the pastor, right? But yeah, we, we've got to do something about that, right? Because if you sit back and do nothing, and there's a time for prayer, isn't it? Time for prayer and sit and ask the Lord to do work. But sometimes we, we can't just be passive and hope it's going to go away. You know, we're not, the, the whole, the picture, this, you know, this kind of analogy of, a, of an ostrich sticking his hand in the sand to, it's afraid, so it just buries its head and thinking that things are going to go away. But that doesn't happen very often, does it, in our lives when we do nothing? And that's happened with David. He did a lot of nothing. And the result was his kids, man, they were spoiled and terrible, killing one another and raping one another. We want someone else to speak up, hoping it goes away, right? There's a, a pastor in Germany. He was in a concentration camp. He was a Christian. He says, in Germany, they first came for the communist. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews. And, you know, I didn't say anything because I'm not a Jew. And they, carried for, they came for the trade unionist. Well, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics. Well, I'm Protestant, so I didn't speak up then either. And then finally, they came for me. And you know what? By that time, there was no one left to speak up. He got carried off to a concentration camp. Think about inaction. It kind of allows the cancer of sin to grow, doesn't it? And we're, we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this as well. Not just in my family, with my children, but in our in church life as well I think it's just as naive to think problems will be solved by doing nothing as it is to think cancer is going to go away if you do nothing does cancer go away once it's shown itself in the body most of the time no James chapter 5 verse 19 20 Listen to this verse. Some of you know it really well. My brothers, if any one of you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Yeah. Another lesson. The sins of fathers are imprinted on their children. 
we say, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And what's that mean? Think about that for a second. Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Sometimes you get into some genetics there, you know. You look like them or you walk like them or you whatever. But in, re in regard to actions and mannerisms of the parents, right, they're learned and imitated by their children. That's true of virtues as well as vices, right? As parents, that ought to kind of, that ought to rattle us a little bit, shouldn't it? David was an indulgent father. He neglected his kids. He didn't discipline them. But, but he also lived this life of sin for a time with Bathsheba and Uriah and his boys, Amnon and Absalom, they, they emulated their father, right? Because the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Something to think about for us parents. Now, the I'll say this out of the side note. Sometimes as parents, because sometimes you're, you have children that are wayward, and, and I will say this, you can do everything rightly. And your parents, as parents, and your children, they're still culpable. They're still responsible for their own actions. And you can do everything right as a parent and your children be wayward. That's just the truth. So I don't want to put too much on you as parents. Because some of you are really struggling with your kids right now. And maybe it is because of passivity or them emulating you. But it may just be because they're wayward and rebellious. And lastly, lessons we learn from these chapters is consequences of sin are real, aren't they? And what's the, the ultimate death really is the ultimate consequence of sin. The wages of sin is what? Death, which means separation from God. Yeah, physical death. Spiritual death is separation from God, right? That's the, that's the reality for all of us, that we're sinners and we're separated from the Lord. But Jesus, isn't it great? Jesus, but Jesus. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because of our sin, we're separated from the Lord, which means we don't know God. We really can't communicate with God. He, he's separate from us. It says we're at enmity with Him. We're His enemy. We oppose Him. He opposes us. And that's terrible. Because when we die, what happens? You know, we're separated from the Lord in life, but in death we'll be separated from the Lord for all eternity in hell. It's terrible. But Jesus, isn't that great? But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, God's Son came and took on flesh and He lived among us and He obeyed the law for us. He took the cross and He went to the cross and He was, gave up His life the Bible says that he paid the sin debt for sinners. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead. And he, after some 40 some odd days, he ascended into heaven. See, we're separated from the Lord because of sin. But Jesus, he paid sinners' debt. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
the consequences of sin are, are real. We, we face them every day in little ways. But the ultimate consequence is death. And if you've never repented, you've never turned from your sin and trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own, I want to encourage you to do that today because consequences are real. And we breathe our last. We'll be forever either with the Lord or apart from Him. And Christ died so that you could be with the Lord. Have you repented of your sin? I want to encourage you to do that today. And You say, well, I don't even know how to do that. Well, it might look something like this. God, I am a, a sinner. I've been in rebellion against you my entire life. I've lived for me and I've neglected you and your word and I don't want to do that any longer. I'm sorry for being so rebellious. Forgive me, Lord. I know that Jesus died for my sin. He rose from the dead so that I could be forgiven. Lord, forgive me today. Let's pray. Father, for those who are yet to repent, I pray that your spirit would move in their heart, that the truth of the gospel would penetrate their heart, that their eyes and ears would be open and they would understand the seriousness of sin and the consequences that they face. I pray that the, the sweet good news of the, Jesus and his death and his resurrection would liberate them, that they would trust Christ and know you as Father. Father, save souls even today. Father, for those here who are part of the church, Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that our actions as parents are affecting our children. May we live righteously. Father, may we remember that we reap what we sow. Help us to sow this week to the Spirit. Father, help us to remember that Your Word is true. Everything that You have said in your word that will happen, it will happen in our lives. Help us this week to overcome evil with good, maybe with a family member, maybe with a co-worker, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor. Father, empower your church through the preaching of your word. May the songs that we sing today, may they be on our hearts, may we sing them throughout the week. May our children, may we hear our children even this week, walking through the house, playing in the room, singing these songs, these true songs to you. Thank you for all the servants in our church and how you're using our church. Lord, not just to do work here, but Lord, some are doing Bible studies in their home. Some are discipling co-workers during break. Some are leading students at their schools. Some are being faithful 
to pray for their lost friends. And Father, we've got other events planned and things planned. Lord's Prayer and Share and the women's event this weekend. Father, I pray that you would use that. Use our Wednesday night Beaver Kids time. Use that in the life of our children. Bless our efforts, Lord. We want to do your work and we want to please you. As we leave, may we rejoice because we've been together. May the lost be convicted. May you use us, your church, this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.